Just before we begin this episode, I want to let you know about a really exciting event coming up for Let's Talk Social Work. On the evening of Monday the 12th of June, we will be recording a special episode of the podcast in front of an audience ahead of the Basra 2023 conference. The venue is Conference Aston in Birmingham and will be starting at 7.30pm. We'll be exploring the role of podcasts as a learning resource for social work, holding up a mirror for a session of self-reflection and I'm looking forward to questions from the audience. I'll be joined by Patrice Bentick, Senior Practitioner in Camden Council and friend of Let's Talk Social Work, Joe Hanley, Lecturer with The Open University, and Dr Sylvia Smith, host of the Social Worker Matters podcast. It's free for Basel members and there is a small admin charge of just under £5 for non-members. Places are limited so you'll need to book in advance and I'll include a link in the show notes to the booking page. You don't need to attend conference to come to the podcast recording, so if you are in the Birmingham area and you like the podcast, I'd really love to see you there. I know it's going to be a really fantastic evening. Welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. My name is Andy McLenaghan, and this episode is going to focus on the challenging and at times contentious topic of media portrayals of social work. Does media coverage reflect the public's opinions of social work or does it shape them? Has the tone of coverage changed over the years? And do pressures on journalists working in media outlets limit the extent to which coverage can address the complexities and nuances of social work-related stories? With me to answer these questions are Julia Ross, Chair of the British Association of Social Workers, Anoush Shikelian, Britain Editor of The New Statesman, host of The New Statesman podcast and co-host of Westminster Reimagined podcast, and Shahid Nakfi, editor of Professional Social Work magazine. And also later in the episode, I'll be speaking with John McGowan, General Secretary of the Social Workers Union, about the extensive work the union has undertaken with media regulators regarding coverage of social work issues. Welcome, Julia. Welcome, Shahid. Welcome, Anoush. How are you guys all doing? Julia, you first. How are you? I'm really pleased to be here. Good to be talking about uh, social work and good to be talking about journalists and, and the media and the public perception of social work. So it's great. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thank you, Julia. And first time on the podcast, as is Anoush, first time you've been on Let's Talk Social Work. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. I'm excited for my debut on your podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being here. And also breaking the duck is Shahid. Shahid, how are you doing? Very well, Andy. Nice to be here. Good man. Uh, good man. You can sound more. You can sound more excited about it. <laughs> yeah, that's as good as it gets. Is that okay? Okay. Okay. That's fine. Well, we, we can work with that. Okay. Let's let's get started. Julia, you began your social work career in the nineteen seventies. Um, I'm really keen to know about how you have seen media portrayals of social work change over the last fifty years. Could you begin by telling us a bit about how the last five decades have been in terms of media and social work? So much has changed. I think the, the recent changes, and they're largely due to the, the impact of social media, um, both in social work and, and the way it's been seen. I, I as, as you know, or you may, may or not know, um, I started training as a nurse. And so a lot of my comparisons are with the NHS. I stopped training, at my, completed my training as a nurse, and then went on to train in social work because I didn't feel that um, intervening as a nurse was doing the amount of um, amount of good that you could do to people's lives in terms of changing them. Uh, and I think the same, same I feel the same now, um, but I, the, the world around us has changed so much that there have been so many different facets that have had an impact on both on social work and, and the way the media has, has um, presented social work. 
And I've always the impression, Julia, you may agree, you may disagree, that healthcare professionals, particularly nurses, probably enjoy an element of public sympathy that social workers don't. And we're going to get into that later. But just sort of even a yes, no to that. Do you think that's a fair statement? I think the, the I don't think people have ever, the public has ever really understood, unless you've experienced social work, um, and quite a few of us have, uh, I don't think it's really understood what, what, what the impact, the hugely potential exciting impact of, of, of good social work on somebody's life can be. And I suppose that's not surprising, is it? Yes, the life-changing impact, because often the coverage is focused on life-changing in a very negative way as opposed to life-changing impact that social workers can have in terms of improving life opportunities uh, and you know supporting people but we're going to get into that in the introduction I asked if media coverage reflects public opinions of social work or whether it shapes them and that takes me back to doing my A-level politics when we were talking about does media coverage affect people's political outlook or does uh, people's political outlook look affect the papers they read it's a big question I'm not expecting a sort of academic answer to this but Anoush I'll put it to you first what do you think of that does media coverage reflect public opinions of social work or does it shape them um, I think it absolutely does shape public opinion. Um, obviously, you're right, that's the perennial debate, sort of, does the media just reflect public views or does it influence them? Obviously, it's a bit of both. Um, but in terms of social work, because it is a service that most, the vast majority of people won't interact with in their lives um, and they won't work in it either, um, it's a bit of a mysterious bit of the state, I think. And so the public probably wouldn't have a, a, a strong opinion on it if it weren't for what they were reading in the news or listening to um, on the radio and seeing on TV. So I think I think the media does have a really big role to play in terms of shaping public opinion about this slightly mysterious part of um, public service. Um, and I think, you know, in general, from the reporting that I've done in terms of trying to speak to social workers about their experiences, um, I think that from within the profession, the view is that they're misrepresented um, unfairly quite a bit on the media and um, sort of scapegoated when things go wrong for children. Um, and so for journalists like me who are trying to perhaps tell a more nuanced story, it is quite difficult sometimes to gain their trust because of the way that um, social workers have been portrayed in coverage over the years. Um, so, you know... I assume that's the view from within the profession, but also I've been told that as well. So, so yes, I know that yes. I know that's how they feel. Um, and I'm, I, I, yes, I mean, obviously, uh, I am a journalist myself, and sort of biased towards our our trade. But I do think that that's in large part because there has been some quite unfair mischaracterisation of what social work is and individual social workers as well over the years. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think the media though does sort of reflect what public opinion is to a large extent as well doesn't it and especially the commercial media that needs to sell papers so they need to uh appeal to what their readers biases are to some extent and they they do that some more than others some are fairer i mean i you know i guess this is why it's so important for all its faults we have a uh, an institution like the bbc which which tries to be as unbiased as possible but um uh, I, I, you know, I used to work on, on on local papers and I was on the Birmingham Post for, for, for many years and, and it had to sell, you know, and, and so we knew what our readership was and so that affected how stories would be shaped. And I, and I think, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the media is reflecting in its portrayal of social work what the public sort of 
it confirms their biases, unfortunately, I think, to a large extent. Julia, that notion of confirmation of bias, would you agree with what she's saying? Of course there's bias, but there's bias in everything, isn't there? Um, and I don't think social work is is that different in terms of people are biased against the police, uh, currently, apparently for very good reason. Um, but that that is a that's the way that the media work and it's the way the public work. I suppose my, my attitude changed quite a bit from when I was a frontline social worker to when I moved on to finally to become a director of social services, because then I had to talk to the press. It was absolutely essential. Whereas before, uh, it wasn't something I had to do, I wanted to do, or, or was comfortable with doing. So the the, the role that I had then um, and dealing with what might be perceived bias was is, was quite crucial to how I kept the confidence of the public um, and, and local politicians too. And Julia, was it something you were wary of doing or fearful of doing, engaging with the press when you were at that senior level? Very, very um, worried about doing. Wary, possibly, yes. But I knew it was essential. Uh, I knew that saying no comment was the worst possible thing I, I could ever do and that I wasn't either you know, protecting my social workers or, or protecting the profession or, or even the public, really, by just not engaging at all. So um, I did prepare quite carefully for when I had to engage. But when you're working in a local authority, it was also particularly difficult because uh, the press office and the local authorities are not accustomed to dealing with um, what can often be quite hostile press. So I see I see Shahid nodding there. That's another <laughs> job you've held, hasn't it? You were a press officer, weren't you? Well, I was actually yeah. for Birmingham City Council's Children's Services Department. And so I did see that from the inside too. Um yeah, there, there is an inhibition, a barrier, a, a fear, really, of the media. Um, and it's all about protecting the institution, reputational damage, and they, they they fear journalists, they don't trust them. But it's that classic thing, if you don't, um, if you don't fill the vacuum of information, someone else will, and it will be the negative stuff. So I agree completely with what Julia says there, that if if you um, if you engage with the media, at least you get to tell your story, and at least you get a chance to fill some of the airspace with your version. Um, but for for you know whatever reason that that cons- that that fear uh, stops stops local authorities, I think a lot of them from doing it. But there has have been some good ones. There was the, I think it was Bristol, was it that did a fly-on-the-wall documentary of social work um, several years ago, which was really, really good and quite brave. But that, you know, did lift lift the lid and, and show the reality of social work. And so the, I think the media will do so, but you've got to engage with them rather than shut the door. Yeah, I remember something similar in Northern Ireland. BBC Northern Ireland made a programme called Find Me a Family. Um, mm. I think it was a journalist called Tara Mills. He's an exceptional journalist, works for the BBC. I, I just want a bit of context, though. Um, Julia Shahid, you might know the answer to this. If you don't, answer the question. If you if you do know the answer, just uh, let uh, Anoush have a go first. But in Basel's 2022 annual survey, um, social workers were asked the question, on a scale of 1 to 10, where 1 is poor and 10 is excellent, how would you rate the public's current perception of social workers? Does anyone know what the answer is? It was very low, wasn't it? It was about 2 or 3, I believe. It was 3.3. So yes, I would say that is low. So that's the, yeah, in terms of social workers obviously have a view that um, that the public have a poor perception of social workers. And I think there was there was over a thousand um, responses um, given to that in terms of written uh, responses and over and over again, 
media portrayals came up uh, as key. So, you know, media presents an inaccurate view of social work, which perpetuates public perception of our role, you know, being a very kind of typical one from that. Um, Anoush, you mentioned earlier the sort of mysterious nature of social work. And I suppose what what I'm guessing you mean about that is, and it's an analogy I've used before, everyone goes to the dentist, everyone goes to the doctor, most people have been to hospital. So in terms of healthcare, everyone has a kind of a, common and often shared understanding of what healthcare is. When it comes to social work and social care, often when families have social work involvement, they may not want other people to know about it. And that plays into what you've called the mysterious, I suppose, kind of, maybe you could call it discrete nature of social work. But with that in mind, I'm, I'm kind of keen to know your perspective on the challenges that you face as a journalist when covering stories related to social work. Yes, yeah. And, and, and that's exactly the reason why I described it as mysterious, because to most people, they won't have to use this service. Um, it's a little bit like social care, I suppose. You know, when you survey people and ask them what social care means, most of them don't actually know what it is, um, especially not how it's funded or how it works. So I suppose social services, particularly child social services, are, you know, even more obscure for that reason. And also because the work is by its nature discreet. Um, and as a journalist, obviously the challenge is, you know, to tell a faithful story of what's going on in those services is very difficult, A, because of the um, suspicion of journalists among, you know, social worker teams. And, you know, often it's easy, not easy, often you're able to speak to an individual worker, but it's very difficult to sort of get the actual um, service itself on side. You know, I tried to shadow a team um, for a piece that I wrote recently and I was just getting rejections left, right and centre. Um, and yeah, you talked about fly on the wall documentaries, but there's nowhere near the amount that there are about the police, for example, or about the NHS. You've got 24 hours in police custody, so many A and E um, sort of hospital programs. Um, you just don't have the equivalent for these services. So that's one of the barriers. And then the second, of course, is um, you know your duty of care to the families and children that you work with. Um, uh, you know how can how on earth can you guarantee their anonymity and their um, sort of uh, their safety if you're, you know, letting someone in who could potentially make a gaffe or, or on purpose, you know, um, publish something that is not meant to be published. So um, that's another angle of it, which I just think is unavoidable. You know, anything that you're doing on children, um, you know, even when you go in and report on schools and stuff, you know, there's extra complications because of the permission that you have to get from the parents or the guardians, etc. So, yes, I suppose that's another that's another challenge when you're working on stories about this area. If you're thinking of that sort of fly on the wall TV documentary compared to, say, print media, I mean, the the amount of time uh, that would need to be invested in making that sort of documentary style program, an awful lot of time spent with social workers, you know, compared to, I suppose, the faster turnaround of particularly of, of daily print media. Do you think there's an element, Danush, that, you know, when you're working in print, that, that there's less time to spend to engage and understand? Yes, I think there's definitely less time, for sure. If you were one of those BBC journalists in that documentary you were talking about, or, you know, an equivalent, then you're probably there for weeks or even a couple of months, and you get to know the people and you you build their trust and you choose which sort of stories about the service you want to follow. And there's a reciprocal relationship as well, because, you know, presumably services will agree to this kind of access because they want to show the good work that they do, but they also want to show what's getting in their way. You know, often national policy, particularly budget cuts, will get in the way of them doing that work. Um, and I think that's the motivation for some of these hospital and police documentaries too. Um, so, yes, you've got that side of it. Um, and then, you know, in terms of the, 
print side, you don't have any of that time. And also, you know, print journalism um, is less direct. It's less of a direct medium for someone to talk to the public through. So, you know, there's the fear that your comments might get misinterpreted or taken out of context. Often people feel, you know, slightly, sometimes slightly ironically, but often people feel a bit more comfortable if there's a camera or there's a, you know, there's a mic that's just recording exactly what they're saying, even though, you know, there's chances for misrepresentation through any any kind of media um, coverage. So, yeah, print is is, is difficult for, from that perspective and also the fast pace of it. Um, I work on a weekly magazine, so the pace is slower than a newspaper. On a newspaper, that's speeded up, you know, 100 times. Um, and there's not the time to do, um, you know, that trust building work as much. There's not the time to get every side to the story. Um, and so, you know, almost inevitably you will get stories that are, are skewed one way. And if it's the social worker or the social, you know, social work service that are refusing to talk to the journalist, then the side of the story that's going to be most represented will be the other side of the story. And that's kind of the way that print journalism works. So, I do think you're right to draw the difference between those two formats. And Shahid, you work on a specialist publication. You're the editor of Professional Social Work magazine. You know Social Work Inside and Out now. But if you think back to when you were uh, working on a print uh, on a daily newspaper, I mean, the complexity of social work, often what gets covered in the press is issues to do with children. But um, Julia, you keep me right here and join in as I forget any issues. So, you know, children and families, older people working with people with addiction, um, asylum seekers and refugees, people with mental health, people with physical disability, people with learning disability. I mean, the list goes on and on in terms of the roles that social workers play, often misunderstood or not understood at all. Um, I mean, does that complexity, Shahid, from your perspective, when you were working as a print journalist, would you have had any grasp of that? Unless you are a specialist in that field, uh, no. Uh, um, and very few papers, well, uh, you know, sort of regional papers will have a space. They may not have a public affairs or social affairs correspondent. But increasingly, when I, towards the end of my days in newspapers, um, because of loss of advertising to the internet, newspapers became quite a, a struggling industry. So, it became a series of cuts, really. So more and more specialist um, reporters were no longer specialist reporters. They became general reporters. Um, but it, so it would be unusual, really, to have someone that specialised in that particular field. So in a way, it, you know, and as you just explained there, it's a very, very complex area. And you can't really expect a, a journalist to, to fully understand it, um, it, it even, even as a specialist sort of social work uh, journalist I, I find it very complicated and, and there's so it's such a wide breadth and it, it's it, there's so much um, the more you know almost the more you don't know so you know you have to be understanding of, of, of journalists that aren't going to have that specialist knowledge and the only way you can work with them helpfully is to help educate them and inform them and explain uh, explain to them and I, I think you'll find most journalists are willing to hear and and be educated if you engage with them, but it's this, uh, uh, you know, as Anish says, it's the problem of not engaging. Or, or um, it, it is difficult though when you're engaging, Shahid. You know, in terms of when you know a journalist has like a really tight print deadline, and you're trying to have that conversation. So yes. when I'm thinking of my post as you know as a, as a press officer, um, that can be a real challenge. And you know, I mean, I just the, the pressures that are on journalists in terms of layoffs. You're saying a lot of journalists, specialists became generalists. A lot of journalists became press officers. You know, the number of yes, journalists that left true. the profession. Yes. Um, yes. 
But before I waffle on too much, in terms of uh, that complexity, can that um, can a lack of understanding of that complexity can that lead one to oversimplification in reporting uh, and two to a lack of balance? Uh, well. You, you would hope most journalists are taught to be balanced, you know, and, and tell both sides of the story. That is good journalism. Um, it doesn't perhaps always happen, and maybe, it, you know, pressures prevent that happening more so. I don't know. But uh, um, a journalist's job is to slim, simplify complex stuff and, and tell a story. So, they, you know, a journalist is going to be under pressure to find the angle and, and find get to the nub of what that story is. And it might not be the same story as we want to tell um you, you know there's a bit of a tension there and of course a, a print journalist in particular well not all journalists only have a certain amount of airtime or space so they're not going to be able to get everything in and they're not going to be able yeah. to get all the nuances of of a very complex yeah, subject. and even even more so news bulletins you know when you think of a you, yeah. news at 10 when you break that down to like a journalist maybe having a minute yeah. one minute of opportunity to speak you know and also having their their vox pops throughout that yeah a huge amount of pressure yeah. um now media coverage following the killing of baby peter connolly baby p i think that was most likely julia the lowest point in terms of media portrayals of social work um looking back to 2008 the sun newspaper ran a campaign featuring several front pages vilifying the social workers involved in the case um and something i found helpful was a recent article in the guardian by sharon shoesmith and sharon shoesmith she was the director of children's services in harringay when peter was killed um and she highlights the view of professor andrew cooper and he's who suggests and this is a quote from the article the pain of knowing that children are harmed is too great to bear and the perceived incompetence of social workers functions as a defence for society against having to tolerate this horrifying knowledge. Now, if this is true, and I'd welcome each of your views on that statement, uh, do you think that media outlets that vilify social workers, and I'm not saying that all do, but those that do vilify social workers, do you think that they are intentionally perpetuating this narrative, or are the journalists themselves um, involved? Are they protecting themselves from the horrifying knowledge that Sharon Shoesmith refers to? I think that's a really, really interesting question. Uh, I wanted to reflect back on some of the comments about complexity, but I can do that perhaps after we've spoken about Baby P. Because sure. complexity is about um, how social workers work with police, with, with teachers, with, with nurses, etc., and GPs. So it, it's complex for that reason too. But moving on to Baby P, uh, that was in 2008. That was the most appalling time. Uh, and I think what what was so painful about it was those repeated pictures of, of little baby P um, in, in his, you know, it, 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 really distressing. So journalists are people, aren't they? And, and but professional social workers are people too. So that distress that you feel um, about abuse is, is, I can't say it's okay, um, because you can't, um, you mustn't let that as a social worker uh, shift you and shift your views. Because if if you do, then you can't be objective. But I do understand journalists finding it really, really difficult. Of, of course, they would. The baby P situation, though, I think was made more complex um, by the engagement of politicians in in it. I think that made it run and run and run uh, because there have been as as serious situations as Baby P there have been recently, um, we know that there have, and there will be again, and, and that's that's really hard. But as, as Sharon has pointed out several times, 
Uh, I was no longer a social, uh, director of social work when um, she she spoke, but she's pointed out several times it um, it isn't the it is it isn't the it, it, it isn't the, the, the institution um, that is to blame. It's people, you know, th things go wrong. And, and people, when they're working in a very complex situation, do get things wrong. And it's pinpointing one person in that whole complex s system of relationships is really quite, is wrong. It's really quite hard, but it's also wrong. And Julia, holding an individual to account, um, even if it's only in your own mind, is an awful lot easier than holding an entire institution to account, especially if it's an institution which is complex and difficult to understand. That is absolutely true. Um, and that's and it's understandable. And I suppose if, not if, um, when I was a director of social services, uh, fortunately, uh, and then there were no deaths of children uh, when I was in charge, but there was very nearly. And the fir my first reaction was I hold myself to account. Uh, so I went to see the leader of council and said, look, if this turns out badly, then you'll have my resignation. Uh, because I felt, yeah, I did feel responsible. I was the leader. I, at the end of the day, the accountability rests with me, not with the social worker who may who um, may not have been properly trained. I may have been accountable for giving them, um, one way or another, too large a caseload. So it's um, I, I think the buck has to stop somewhere, and I I cannot see that it should stop with an individual unless demonstrably they they killed that child and clearly it was the parents that killed the child not the social worker and anush if i can just push you on that as well from your perspective as a journalist um you, well if I'll, I'll ask you to speak <laughs> on behalf of your profession but if you really <laughs> want to speak as an individual speak as an individual in terms of protecting yourself from that knowledge um that that statement i opened that whole section with what do you think do you think that um journalists when they are vilifying social workers they are in effect protecting their, themselves from having to deal with the, the full horror of what's happened yeah i think it's a really i've not thought about this point before i think it's a really really interesting point um i think when a child dies and especially under the circumstances of some of the horror stories that we occasionally hear it's a really horrible thing to have to square in your mind that that can happen and that people can do that to someone and I think it's human nature to think well what will stop this happening from last time what went wrong and it's also human nature unfortunately to play a blame game um, and so you know maybe that is sort of psychologically what's going on under the surf surface a bit for, for, for journalists who work on these stories and maybe you know, go after the individual social worker involved in the case rather than sort of taking a more holistic picture. Um, but I would also say, you know, at certain publications, they might be under pressure to tell a more human story. And of course, human stories will involve the individual social worker as well as the individual family or the child, um, because these stories are very complex and they can sound very technical you know, I, even I, uh, you know, my my nice, cosy left-wing magazine will be told to, you know, find a human angle to, to a story about these things. And, you know, perhaps that human angle, unfortunately, sometimes falls on the individual social worker implicated in the case. Um, not that that's fair, but I think that's also going on as well as perhaps the sort of, yeah, the psychological thing that, that we were just discussing. I'm just thinking of the court case um, in relation to Arthur Lubinio Hughes um, and his killing. And... I remember reading in a, it was an, an online publication, a newspaper I wouldn't naturally be inclined to read. Um, and the court reporting went into such detail 
I mean, it was really horrific and oh, dreadfully affecting. I have a child who's roughly the same age that Arthur would be now if he was alive. And I just found it almost impossible to read. But I did have a sense that in terms of how it was being reported, you were wondering is, are these difficult details being put out in the public domain because the public need to know this? Or is this being put out in the public domain as a sort of sensationalised, um, almost like, let's just call it entertainment, you know, which in, in terms of the, the publication I was reading in, it felt like it was the, the latter, not the former. Um, and that's something which is very, very difficult and where you draw the line there, because, I mean, it's deeply affecting. And I think it is we can very easily shield ourselves from from these, you know, the horror of a child death, a child killing. That is horrific. But when you read some of those reports, if you when you read what happened to little baby uh, Peter Connolly, oh, I mean, it's it breaks me. It really does. Um, um, but I'm keen to if we Julia, if you think back to 2008 and that that time of the sons um, campaign against the social workers involved in um, baby P's case, um, how did that affect social workers at the time? Uh, and have there been long term impacts um, associated with it? It was absolutely devastating for, for all social workers, and not only those that were working, and, and some, I suppose, inevitably would be saying, well, that was London, wasn't it? That was, you know, that was finding an excuse for it, um, because that, that would be what you would try and do. But it, it the devastation for social work as, as a profession, uh, I, I'm not sure that we've even fully recovered from because people refer back to it. You're referring back to it. Yeah. It, it, is, it was a, a, a pivotal point. And I think that has had quite a dramatic effect um, in, some, some, in some cases but for, on, on how, profession, how the profession is seen, how it's seen by other professions um, and our working relationship with others. Julia, um, had there been anything previous to that in any way comparable in your experience? No. For, for me, Maria Colwell was, was really, that, um, that's taking us right back to the early uh, 19, 1970s at least, yes. So Maria Colwell was for me, and I describe this in my book called The Social, was the moment when we understood that child sexual abuse takes place. And we didn't really, I mean, it must have been known, uh, but it wasn't a, a real knowledge uh, or, or an acceptance. And so for me, that was absolutely pivotal. It, it, it changed the shape of what we know and, and how we live with some of those awful things that happen to children. I was looking back over recent coverage um, and I found it helpful that in a couple of articles I read by Alison Holt, and Alison is the BBC Social Affairs Editor, concerning the murders of Star Hobson and Arthur Lubino Hughes, that um, while Alison correctly noted that there were many failings in the child protection system, and that these were failings that had happened over and over again, outlined in many serious case reviews, um, she highlighted that firstly, child protection is a difficult, complex job, and most of the time professionals do keep children safe. And secondly, and crucially, you, you touched on this earlier, Julia, responsibility for what happened to Star and Arthur has to lie with the people who murdered them and the parents who didn't stop the abuse. So that was recent coverage. I also read a piece on, on the mm -hmm. Sun website um, researching this episode. This was from May 2022, so just a year ago. Um, and it overviewed the murder of baby Peter and the tone. Uh, now, the tone of the article, it was significantly different to the, to the coverage from 2008. It, you know, I, I don't think you would describe it as sensational. And it highlighted feelings across a range of services, including the police, me, uh, medical professionals and social workers. 
Now, Julia, I started this conversation by asking you at the beginning how media portrayals of social work have changed during your career. But if we could just focus in on the, the last sort of five or ten years in particular, have you perceived a change over that period in terms of reporting? In terms of reporting, um, yes, because we know that social media is far more immediate. Um, we also know that picking up small bits of information and putting them together um, it can become quite it's, 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 it's a skill and it's quite can become quite catastrophic in terms of of how things are described and how we how we understand them so i personally think uh, and i would love to hear the what shahid and anush have to say i personally think that the media re- reporting of of social work and social work practice has improved i see more social workers and more social care people um in in in, in general stories i mean i they're there uh, sometimes they get uh, okay, they become over-exaggerated, but on the whole, you see ordinary lives and you see social workers as part of people's ordinary lives. They're on casualty, for example. I'm a great fan of casualty on Saturday night. And I see them there. I see social workers there talking to people. Um, I, I find- Does casualty still exist, Julia? I thought casualty was cancelled. <laughs> if I got that wrong. Does casualty still exist? Of course casualty exists. Yes. Sorry, what was it? Was it Holby City was cancelled? Probably. It may have been Holby City, I so, don't know. But... Yeah, forgive me. Sorry. Okay. Right. That, that was important. Sorry. Sorry. But there is, there is a very good social worker, and it has been recently, a middle-aged woman. You hardly ever see middle-aged women these days um, actually being a social worker on, on casualty, and I really enjoyed it. But but they they social workers appear in, in people's everyday lives. They appeared on the, well, so for, uh, a care worker appeared on the Archers um, the other day too. I don't want you to think I just listened to the Archers and watched Cassidy. Um, well, the Archers <laughs> have been de- de- dealing with some really heavy stuff in the last number of yeah. years. There was a course of control storyline as well, wasn't there quite significantly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was. It's interesting, isn't it? Because there's not, um, you know, I mean, thinking about something like Happy Valley, which mm. sort of shows the best and, you know, some of the, less good practices of the police Mm. um you know it's so popular and sort of people took that main character into their hearts kind of thing Mm. but then you you do you remember that that uh that series called Kiri on channel four in 2018 and that was Sarah Lancashire as well and I think there was a debate if I remember rightly at the time about how social workers were represented in that fictional drama Um, and I think there was a bit of backlash from social workers as well on the way that her work was portrayed. Um, so she had a dog with her, didn't she? She took a dog in everywhere with her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that was don't know if that was her key character, but yeah, she did do that. Um, I, I actually quite enjoyed the program, and obviously, it's you know, it's just a bit of drama. But it's interesting the difference, and, and I haven't watched Casualty or caught up with the Archer storyline on this, but it's interesting how we don't really have the equivalent sort of beloved characters that we do in other services that are, you know, if, if anything, far more controversial than, than social work, like policing, for example. There was a recent one in Blue Lights. I don't know if you watched Blue Lights, Anish. Um, no. The female lead character in that, who was a trainee uh, cop, she was doing her probation. Um, and she had been, it was very obvious from the way she was engaging with um, uh, the public in the first episode, I knew that the storyline was going to be that she had previously been a social worker and then that's kind of, that's right. that that's revealed. Um, I don't think they get into why she left social work, but she obviously mm-hmm. takes a very, and that's actually key to her character development throughout. If you haven't, you haven't watched Blue Lights, it is brilliant. You should watch really? it. Uh, Shahid likes it as well. 
Where, where uh, is yeah, this on? I've never episode. heard of it. Oh, Blue Lights. BBC. It's a BBC uh, one. BBC. Uh, okay. It's police police series. It's it's set in Northern Ireland. That's not why I'm saying it's good. It is <laughs> so really great. Good. You know, it's had very good reviews. It's ri- it? you know, it's written by a former journalist, a guy called Declan right. Lawn, who was a BBC radio. Uh, sorry, BBC Northern Ireland journalist, and he used to be an anchor on the I think the morning news on the radio. Uh, he wrote it. He left his career early 40s and embarked on screenwriting which I think was quite a brave move and uh, yeah it's tremendous sorry uh, before I just digress too much um, (laughs) it's been touched on a couple of times Uh, Julia has touched on social media but I mean we're making a podcast now Uh, Anoush you make two podcasts um, in your work I mean in terms of print and broadcast being regulated mediums new media you know stuff on youtube podcasts they are not regulated mediums and there is a risk i suppose with um content being put out there which can sound really authoritative that can be really well produced but is essentially misinformation and disinformation and 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 i'd just be keen to know um shaheed um, and anushan and julia as well your views uh, in terms of the risks associated with um, the consumption of news and current affairs um uh, kind of analysis via podcasts and also issues around professional development like we're doing now, Julia. Um, I'll go to Anish first. Yeah, I think it's a really, really good point because, I mean, not to go off on a tangent, but child abuse and child sex, sex, sexual abuse is sort of, it's almost like the baseline of a lot of the conspiracy theory content that we've seen sort of bubble up over the pandemic years and in the sort of Trump era. Um, you know, some of the conspiracy theories that you hear, the sort of QAnon thing is based on children being being abducted and things. So you know that child abuse is this very emotive topic, obviously, but it is used by some, you know, bad, bad faith actors online in very professional sounding podcasts, you know, YouTube videos with very high production values. And if, you know, if you're someone who is perhaps not the most discerning consumer of news and you know you happen to go down a rabbit hole with these videos or with these with these podcasts then you know you start believing all sorts of things are happening to children but also all sorts of other sort of wild stories um that aren't true so I do think that that is that must come up you know that must be a difficulty for for social workers um you can see it uh I mean you know that attack ad that Labour did recently on Rishi Sunak suggesting that he doesn't want paedophiles to be jailed. You know, I thought that was quite low because it sort of tapped into this paranoia, you know, what are they doing to our children type dark corners of the internet. Um, So I do think disinformation is a particular worry in this area of work. Um, But then again, you know, you get some really good podcasts. So a podcast that I found very informative was one that the BBC ran in a series called The Corrections. It was just a short series. I don't think they do it anymore. But they had one called The Carbonara Case about this time story in 2017 about a, um, well, the headline was Christian child forced into Muslim foster care. And it was about sort of, yeah. you know, how potentially um, politically correct sensitivities had sent this child into this um, inappropriate setting. But actually this podcast corrected some of the myths in that reporting and it was a really handy sort of revision of that story um to set you know to 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 set the real story um and so actually and you couldn't do that you know if a bbc journalist pitched that as a regular story on the news or online or if a newspaper journalist pitched that as a story it'd be too obscure You, you know your editor would say well the moment's passed now but in a podcast format like that where you can do more creative things actually set the record straight on a 
um, you know, a bit of reporting that may have been quite damaging or may have not told the, tr- the, the true or f- fullest story. Yes, and, and, and Isha, a podcast I had listened to probably about a year ago, which I found really, really helpful, um, where is George Gibney? It was a BBC produced podcast, but it was about um, a child abuse scandal, a prolific child abuser. Um, he was a, a swimming coach in Ireland. Yeah, I listened to that as well. Did you listen to that? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it was brilliant. Yeah, those guys, what's it? Um, First, first captains. Is that what it's, the guys mm. that make that podcast? Absolutely brilliant. Um, but they went round. They they travelled to the states to basically track down this guy who'd evaded justice. He'd fled Ireland before he'd been. Oh, there was there were court cases. I think that were. Did he get off on some sort of technicality? I can't remember. But um, yeah, they were very very insightful. But those podcasts were made. Um, although by a pr- private production company, independent production company, they were made and published by the BBC under BBC editorial guidelines. You know, so you know that you can trust that. I suppose it's just when information is being put out there which is you know interesting entertaining but mm. maybe miss or disinformation julia you you'd mentioned a couple of times the issues with social media do you have any concerns about um new media in terms of podcasting and vlogging etc i have some concerns but it's it's the way of life now so we, we can't hold back from it it's like um when the ai the attitudes towards ai is the same so i don't think social work social care can afford to stand back from what is the norm um and yes sometimes it's disinformation and sometimes it's misleading uh, but was ever thus you know I, d- I don't personally think that that podcasts or the use of social media has really changed attitudes and I, I may be wrong um but i i, I regardless it, it, it in some ways it, it doesn't matter because it's it's out there and it's what yes. we, how we need to work Yes, I must correct. Talking about mis and disinformation, Anush, the podcast production company is, of course, second captains, not first captains, as I <laughs> named them. Um, Shahid, do you have any views on this? Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it is a double-edged sword, isn't it? Um, it's a bit of a wild west out there. There's so much material and you can, as Anush says, end up down a rabbit hole being misinformed and uh, in your own echo chamber. Um, but uh, we, I'm currently in the process of judging entries for the Basworth Social Work Journalism Awards, and uh, there are a couple of podcasts there. Uh, one of them produced by social workers, uh, and it, 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 I thought it was brilliant. I mean, it's just two guys talking about the job. Who's that? Do you want to um, give them a, a wee shout? It's called Social uh, So the Social Worker and the Mentor. Oh, I those guys are great. Called. They were. We made an episode with them two episodes back. Absolutely brilliant. Very yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. and and and. What an insight into the realities of social work with just two two guys talking about their work in a very informal, down-to-earth way. And I thought that that worked very well. Um, so, you know, it, it can be used to, to real advantage, but I guess there is a danger, yes, of course, of, of uh, everyone's got... Uh, I mean, in... in in the old days, and I'm not saying it was right, I remember when social media first came in, you know, we were, as journalists, a little bit in an ivory tower because we had control over the information, <laughs> you know, there was no other way way to put it. Um, now everyone can broadcast, pull out material, and, uh, and it's democratised, I suppose, and in some ways that's a good thing, but it is also... Because it's not regulated, as you say. There's there's no rules or guidelines. People just do what they want. So you have to be very careful. I think. Yeah. Yes, and just just to wrap up, I've got one final question. It's, I suppose, sensationalised reporting concerning social work for the most part um, has been limited to print and online media. Um, with broadcast media less affected. Um, Shahid, you were speaking earlier on about, you know, the independence of the BBC. Um, 
you know, so that has been largely free from any sort of ideological positioning. But we do have recently the introduction of new channels such as GB News and Talk TV, and they're following a more kind of American Fox News kind of format um, where there is a clear kind of um, ideological position in terms of their reporting. Um, same similar question then, you know, is there a risk that ideologically based reporting of social work is coming or could be coming to broadcast media? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, you do have a bit of tabloidization. I know that's not a word, but of... Oh, it is now, it is now. Of some, yeah, you heard it here first, of, uh, of some of these new TV channels and also the way that radio platforms like LBC are kind of taking a more um, sort of editorialised approach to their programmes. I suppose LBC do um, have an awful lot of balance, so, you know... They do for, have balance, but it's sort of... It's balanced between presenters yes. as opposed to... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so I suppose, you know, broadcast media is changing a little bit in this country in the sense that it's not just, you know, BBC, Sky, Channel 4, ITV kind of giving you the, on the one hand, this, and on the other hand, that. There is, there is a... Yeah, there is a sort of tabloidy style to GB News and talk TV that I think talk TV is aiming to be sort of less, you know, sort of right wing and frothing, if you can kind of put it that that way. Um, so I suppose the only real test case will be, unfortunately, another big um, child abuse scandal. Um, you know, every social worker that I've ever interviewed has always said, well, you can never stop these, you know, things happening, you know, ultimately some parents are going to get away with doing these things sometimes, um, no matter what you do to tighten up processes and give social workers the best working environment possible. So it will happen, you know, at some point. And I suppose the test case to see whether or not these new channels take that kind of, you know, that kind of more retro approach of going after the individuals remains to be seen. I don't think, I don't see that happening just because I don't think they've got like huge legal budgets to back up doing that um uh their coverage is you know a little bit more diy at the moment but um i suppose if they if they do get a bit more heft to their reporting and their resources then you know maybe they will feel the confidence to do those kind of hit jobs on individual social workers but you know i wouldn't want to denigrate those channels for something they haven't actually done of course, of course. And I will shortly be speaking with John McGowan about the social workers unions work, um, working with the, the press and media regulators. But before we do that, Julia, I'd just like to give you the last the last word. Thank you. It, um, it, it is the, the world is changing and social work needs to change with it. Uh, it can be um, a really difficult um, place to be when you're a social worker and you're you're trying to um, carry out what you need to carry out and you're worried about what other people will think of of you and you see sometimes uh, in your worst nightmares your 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 name and the headlines etc but i i don't think on a day-to-day -day basis that is where social what social workers worry about and i don't think that's where they are i think they understand that the press have a job they don't like um bad uh, press, but then who would? Uh, so I think the Baswar itself, British Association of Social Workers, has a real job to carry on talking to the press and and just being more more open um, in every way uh, that we can. So I don't know how many of you will have seen the Laura Koonsberg show on BBC One she, at nine o'clock every Sunday morning. She did a clip 
um, from Wendy uh, Sherman, who is the Deputy Secretary of State for the US. And she asked about her social work career, which was quite an amazing thing. And uh, Wendy said, uh, she asked her about being a social worker and, and if you knew now, what would you do then? Um, or what, how do you use your social work skills now? And she said, uh, I really valued and enjoyed my clinical skills, but how to relate to people and how to organize people to reach an objective was something that has stayed with me all my life. And I, I, I was some... Um, I was really struck both with the fact that Laura um, managed to bring that in, but but also that that social work skills are not just to do with working with um, damaged and, and damaging families and and you know people in difficult circumstances. They're also to do with life, uh, and I'd want to celebrate that. Thank you, Julia. Thank you, Anish. Thank you, Shahid. It's been great to speak to you. Let's talk social work. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. With me now is John McGowan, General Secretary of the Social Workers Union. John, how are you doing? It's great to have you back on the podcast. Very well, Andy. Lovely to see you. Thank you. Yes, no worries. And it was back, I was looking, it was back in September 2021 that you were last on. We were discussing the campaign to ban smacking children in England. And we're now talking about another campaign today, and that's about the efforts by the Social Workers Union to push for guidance from the media regulators regarding reporting of issues concerning social workers. Now, John, I know that recently the press regulator Impress issued media reporting guidelines for cases involving social workers. And I'm going to include a link in the show notes to that document so that listeners can find it and read it. It's a really helpful document. Tell us about how that came about and also about the difference that those guidelines are hopefully going to make. Yeah, no, that's um, thanks for the opportunity, Andy. Um, so principally, it was SWU and BASWA that we were both concerned about members coming forward and actually highlighting about their, their impact when they've been named in cases which have reported social workers. And for example, high-level cases where the press have um, highlighted the social worker involved in the case and the, and the social workers coming back to Baswell and Sue and say, look, this is having an impact on me professionally and also um, personally. The, you know, the public's been, um, you know, get, getting wind of their names and then ultimately um, causing a lot of difficulties for, you know, for the members. So really that's how it came about. And it was, it was more and more social workers coming forward and saying, look, I've been victimised here. I've been, I've been named. I've had no um, um, redress with this. And um, it's just not fair because it's not happening in other professions to the scale like social work. So that's how it came about. From that, Baswar and Swoo, both um, along with Campaign Collective, thought, how can we challenge this further rather than do it on an individual basis? And that's why Impress came about. That um, When we approached Impress, they were very um, keen to collaborate with us. And, and as, you, as you mentioned, the guidelines came about. So that was the start of that relationship. And if anyone looks at the guidelines, they're quite... They're quite clear. But just before I go on to the next bit, I don't want to bore you all, but there's, a, there's several regulators in, in, in media and the press. Yeah, and that was, John, I was going to ask that question actually, because Impress, it's the smaller of the UK's two press regulators. And I think I was on its website. It regulates 119 publishers and 203 publications in the UK. But I think people are probably more familiar with the Independent Press Standards Organisation, that's IPSO, and it regulates more than 1,500 print titles and more than 1,100 online titles, including most of the UK's national newspapers. So yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I'm really, I'm keen that you were going to move on, but um, what's SWU doing to get IPSO to publish similar guidance to the guidance that Impress has issued? Yeah, no, no, you're right, IPSO covers, in fact, they cover all print publications apart from two 
I think it's a London standard in the Guardian who don't sign up to it. But yeah, the Guardian were quite significant, and they wouldn't, isn't that right? Sign up at the time. Yeah, I remember that was quite an issue. Sorry, let's not get let's not go down yeah, that's a rabbit hole. Sorry. Go yeah, so uh, you know you're right that um, Ipso is a, a massive regulator covering all the the press publications apart from um, Guardian and uh, London Standard who have not signed up, but. Really, principally, they cover all the all the print media. So when we approached Ipso, we had a really. Um, I went down to London. I met the team along the Campaign Collective, and we'd really explained the position. And we presented them with the impress regulations. Again, they were very um, forthcoming. They agreed that they would put forward to the readers panel, which is a panel, we, um, the, a separate panel that involving Ipso members, and they looked at the, the 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 negative points we were highlighting, and they agreed that there was issues there. So. From that, Ipsos agreed to work with us further and um, they've now put on a special podcast looking to see how social workers can put a complaint together and how that might look. And they've also um, agreed to um, engage further with the, you know, with the regulation. So that's a good start, Andy. No, it's great. And I think it's really, it's wonderful that the impress guidance is there because then it gives you something to take to Ipso and say, look, things are moving here. Um, I mean, John, you are the, you're, you lead a specialist union, social workers union. I'm thinking about other unions than the National Union of Journalists, for example. Um, have you made any engagement with them about guidance for their members? Has, has anything happened there? Yeah, again, we've had a positive engagement. We had a, an open meeting with the NUJ and um, we met with their um, ethics committee. And the Ethics Committee have agreed to share our publication and our good guidance for um, journalists with their members. And also when um, journalists are doing the training, um, we spoke to their um, education team and they were keen to embrace that as part of learning for journalists. Okay, so that's that's the taking, sorry, taking the impress guidance and, and disseminating it to NUJ members. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so okay. it's not it's not happened yet, Andy. But that's that's what they've agreed to implement before the discussion. So again, that's another positive aspect. Yes, and one just to, I want to I do want to flag this up in terms of the impress guidance, John. One of the things we talked about in the previous discussion with Anoush and Julia and Shahid was one about the complexity of social work, um, and that's something which is actually there's a really good explanation of what social workers do and the kind of the scope of the role, which is in that guidance which i think is really really helpful um but i mean we also talked in that discussion about the importance of fair reporting um, of social work across all outlets so not just talking about print because often the focus is on print but print online radio tv um we've discussed impress and ipso they're both print media regulators um, what about broadcast has SWU had any engagement with ofcom for example yeah well that's very timely andy because the next stage is that um ruth allen and i have just we were sending off a letter um, to engage with Ofcom and also their, um, the, you know, the big um, union there, which is back to covering um, the, you know, the media there, and also we're planning to approach some other media outlets as well. So that'll be the next stage as part of that engagement. So if you imagine it as a as a chain, we've already had Impress and I'm Ipso, we've had the NUG, and the next stage is moving on to engagement with Ofcom and back to, and I'm um, looking at um, further, um, hopefully, um, positive changes or, or, or raising the awareness of the impact on social work. And that's brilliant. And it's good to be able to take it to Ofcom when you have that momentum already in the in the process. Do you have, um, you know, how, how are you feeling about Ofcom? It's a, it's a massive organisation. It has a huge scope. Do you have um, the same expectations that they will deliver the way Impress have? Well, to be honest, um, a, a lot of folks said to me that um, regarding Ipso, that Ipso wouldn't be keen to engage. But, you know, with some, I think it's all about how you approach things. And, and you know, with some friendly conversations and, and, and a good visit in London, I think it's about, you know, getting folk to listen to your argument. And I think that's the key. That um, I was told that Ipso would have a, 
a, a door up to us and you know, they would listen, but they wouldn't be keen. But I've been pleasantly surprised that Ipsos has been um, full of intervention. So I'm hoping Ofcom is the same. And, and the argument being if, if Ipsos can do it and Impress can do it and the NUJ, then why is Ofcom not listening to us? Yes, and I believe, just to, to we'll finish maybe on this, John, but you've also... Um you are as so you are a member of the General Federation of Trade Unions, or you're an affiliate of the General Federation of Trade Unions. A motion was passed recently by your by the General Federation in support of the impress guidance as well, isn't that right? Yeah, so I presented the motion on the 16th of May at the GFTU conference, which the GFTU there's 30 unions affiliated to the the GFTU, and and there's some big unions there like the Community Workers Union. Um, and there's a few other sort of large unions there. So um, after my presentation and my motion, that the the motion was passed unanimously that the GFTU and and affiliates would support our motion and also um, where possible assist us with any um, um, information sort of sharing on the, on the negative impact on social work. So that was a great um, achievement, really. So already we've got the you know the GFTU group on board as well. So, so yeah. It's all part of that journey, isn't it, to, to raise awareness? Yeah, it's great, John. It's absolutely brilliant. And I think down the line, let's keep talking. If um, if um, Ipso, when Ipso produce some guidance, if Ofcom produce some guidance, it'd be great to have you back on and we can talk about that. But thank you for your time. Yeah, perfectly. And I just, I'd just like to conclude is that, that I suppose the next time a, a, a Baswell or SWU member says, well, what are we doing about the, the, the negative media representation then? You've heard that answer quite clearly. I think we're, you know, we're doing quite a lot and that's important for members to hear that thank you John brilliant thank you Andy